Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. As I say, it's great to have you aboard. Uh, this morning. I'm heavily indebted to our first guest today, who earlier in the week um, broke her ankle and has come down from Yorkshire to be on the, on the sofa this morning. Joe Mason, good morning. Uh, you've gone above and beyond, I reckon, to, to be with us today. But as you pointed out, there's not much else to do at the moment. Yeah, no, exactly. Obviously, this only happened on Monday. Um, so might as well fill my time in. <laughs> All right. So for those who haven't been reading the papers or, or listening to whatever, what happened? Um, just, I was on my last lot of the morning, um, a two-year-old that um, was just getting back cantering again. Um, and you know what? She, she was brilliant. And getting towards the end of the gallop, um, as we hacked down the gallop, we turned around and canter back. Mm-hmm. Um, three pigeons flew out and that was it, gone. She was gone from underneath me and I was out the side door. And you did have somebody to come and scrape you up fairly yeah. quickly. <laughs> yes. Um, after I had to take about five minutes, and normally I'd be the first one to jump up and be like, that's really annoying. So um, you knew straight away. And I didn't know I'd broken anything. Honestly, I thought I'd just, you know, wrenched it or anything. Um, just had five minutes, and then I hobbled back down the gallop a little bit, and um, my granddad turned up in his truck and, and picked me up and, and says to me, why, why did you fall off, Joanna? I said, <laughs> oh, I wish I didn't. <laughs> um, three pigeons and what can you do? Um, so yeah, off, off to the office I went, put a nice pack on it and there's me contemplating, will I be able to ride today? I had four brilliant rides at Thirsk um, and a stalls test to do and I was like, no, I, I will be, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Took the ice pack off and had this large lump on my ankle and I thought, oh, I just think I might struggle here. <laughs> uh, I think I think we can have a look at the the damage in a minute, but this was this was what you tweeted. Just as you think you're back on track, pigeons decide to flap out of the hedge. Not the outcome I'd hoped for. A spiral fracture of the distal fibula. That sounds quite painful. <laughs> Thankfully, not much pain. We're hardy up north. Bit of box rest. I'll be back and riding in no time. Um, I, I yes, that, yeah. that tells a slightly different story. That's the bruising yesterday morning that's coming out. So um, I've obviously had a lot of swelling and a lot of bruising. Um, you know, obviously very grateful that the Jackberry house is just round the corner um, from my house. So I've been going up there three three times a day just to get the ice compression, the game ready mm-hmm. machine on, um, just to control the swelling. And um, they've given me loads of supplements from calcium to HMB to vitamin D, um, I've got Arnica tablets. They're not messing around, are they? No, I've got everything that hopefully just will make it initially knit that I can, you know, get going on in the gym. I can't read an x-ray, but I can see the crack there. Yeah, so that's you can the, see, that's the, the bottom end of the fibula, yeah. Right. 
Um, so, and you can see it's a slight round the bone, so that's the spiral fracture of it. But at least it's clean, I suppose, yes, is it? Yes, exactly. Um, I know when I went to the hospital, I did have to do a standing x-ray just to make sure that the fracture didn't move when I had weight on it, and they were happy that it didn't, so um, I'm landed with a boot, which at least I can you know, still go up to get the, the ice machine on. Um, but yeah, you can kind of see it on that on that X-ray there. It's you know the little bone at the back, mm -hmm. down the side, and it follows round the bone at the bottom. But you did say that you're you're hardy, um, and you're not wrong because this is not the most serious injury you've had to recover from. No, it's not. Um, like I said, I, I've got no pain at all, and I know when I went to get the X-ray. The, the nurse just couldn't believe that I had no pain at all. It was just the swelling. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I did, I think it was 2016, mm. um, broke my back in a point-to-point for my T8 and T9, um, had a compression fracture of that spine there, yeah. So I had to have um, eight pins and two rods in my back and, yeah. <laughs> How long were you out of action for then? Three months and a week till I was back race riding. You, you got back race riding in three, three months, months and a week? Three months and a week, yeah, from a broken back. That is astonishing. And it was just as the Jack Berry house, I don't think it actually had been officially even opened yet. I was one of the first jockeys in there. Um, and yeah, the, the hydrotherapy pool was unbelievable for it, really, because I couldn't really do much in the gym with the impact mm -hmm. on my back. So um, the hydrotherapy pool was amazing. And fitness, and when I did get back on the horse, it felt like I'd missed no time at all. So if we go if we go all the way back, people will remember you from the kind of mid-noughties riding amateur races, point-to-point, Arab racing, just being a, you know, a jack-of-all-trades but very good at an awful lot of those things. Now you've reinvented your career as a, a flat jockey and it's going incredibly well. Was the, was the broken back a bit of an accelerator in a way? A little bit, yes. Um, after I did break my back, I decided not to ride point-to-pointing anymore. Um, I was then concentrating on the flat mm -hmm. in, in the summer and I was doing well. And I did, you know, come to my granddad and, and David a few times thinking, oh, should, I, should I change professional? I should just say, if, if anyone Sorry. doesn't know, I'm sure they all do. Um, <laughs> Mick Easterby is, uh, is Joe's granddad, the, the legendary figure, and, and David's your uncle. Yes, yeah. uh, yes, they are. So very lucky to have their expertise. Um, so, yeah, whether I did and whether I was, you know, the big fish in the small pond on the amateur circuit doing well. And I think back then, you know, female um, involvement probably wasn't as strong back then. And it was, mm -hmm. I suppose, a lot harder work. And, you know, you have to work hard. Um, so I carried on riding as an amateur. And it wasn't until COVID happened and amateurs couldn't ride that... You know, that spurred me on and, and a bit of help from Serena Brotherton, who obviously is very a top, top amateur as well, said, Joanna, you'd be stupid not mm -hmm. to. And, and that's probably the kick in the right direction that I needed. And, you know, I've not looked back since. So the family then kind of got right yeah, behind definitely. you and backed you, gave you plenty of rides. Yeah, definitely. I obviously went to David and my uncle, uh, David and, and my granddad, and said, look, I think this is what I want to do. Amateurs can't ride during COVID. And they said, yep, I think that's a brilliant idea. When you went right back, so when you were, you were leaving school, was the idea of being a jockey something that was in, in your mind at all or not really? No, not at all. Um, I've, my cousin, Jacqueline Coward, um, champion point-to-point rider, you know, I think maybe 
six, seven, eight years in Yorkshire. Um, you know, the country champion. You know, she was brilliant, and she was probably the person I looked up to. And as a family, my dad's side trains pointers, and I suppose as much as Grandad trains the flatties and the, and the jumpers. You know, my uncle, again, point-to-point -point rider, you know, that's what I always saw as doing. You know, as mm. a kid, we always went point-to-pointing at the weekend. Um, so that's, I think, what I... Uh, and why I started out point-to-pointing. Um, so I did that while I was at university when I left school. Mm. I, was in, I was at Leeds Metropolitan, so it was handy to come back at weekends. We had a good lot of horses that my dad was training. Um, so I rode mm. those... And while doing a degree and, and deciding to do a master's. And, and just give us a flavour of what it was like growing up in, in, that, in that dynasty, because it, it's, so, it's so charismatic and so, so powerful in, in Yorkshire racing as well. Did you, did you have a sense of that when you were, when you were a kid? Not really. Um, not until probably looking back now, um, how everyone um, you know, views Grandad and, and my uncle. You know, I think as a kid, they're just family aren't they mm. um, I knew it was you know he, he, he obviously does very well on the circuit and he, he always gets the interviews um, but yeah no he, he was just your granddad um, I've seen footage of you two together though and it's clear that you have a very special bond now I'm sure you'd say he's the same with all his grandchildren but you obviously are very close we we always joke um, his favourite grandchild I think changes every single day yeah. um, that's the way to play it Definitely, he's got it safe there. Um, yeah, you know, I, he'd always watch my races. He loves it. Whether he'd tell me that he loves watching me and it's probably a different matter, but he'll be soon to tell me I've done something wrong or I should have done this or I was too far back. And um, he, he soon puts you back down on your feet, really. But I'm not probably one to get on cloud nine too much, really. Um, but, you know, it's a brilliant experience. I'm there most days a week riding out. Um, and, you know, you ride all different horses from jumpers to flatties to, um, yeah, no, it's, it's just the way of life. Obviously, there's quite a lot of mythology around Mick Easterby, but who is the, who is the real man? Look, I think he, obviously, the camera, I think he, not like... I mean, he loves, it, he, camera, loves clearly, yeah. he loves the camera, he loves the camera, he loves the camera, you know, I think on a morning... I mean, he's nearly had me taken off air about 15 times. <laughs> Um, on a morning, he's definitely work. Um, but I know when I used to come back from racing, if you know before I'd started riding as a professional, I, I used to take a lot of the horses racing. I mm -hmm. um, used to come back and you know have a little natter with him when I got back from racing, and you know talk how the horses went and mm -hmm. whatnot. And you know he loves his racing, he loves his family. Um, you know he's just an amazing person. And to have that level of enthusiasm and passion for the sport, I guess, is is what's kind of sustaining him because he he very nearly died during during COVID, didn't he? Um, yeah, no, obviously um, he was quite ill, but you know he, he's he's hardy, like we said from up north. Um, he he gave it a good fight, and you know he still loves his racing. Whether it's kind of enthused his racing a little bit more, um, he he'd always watch my races, even rides for other people. Um, we'll have a touchdown the next day and, and a talk through um, them all. So, yeah, he loves it. Welcome back. Great to have you aboard today. Joe Mason's still with us and flanked now by the Racing Post, Maddie Plale, and the Director of Public Affairs and PR at Ascot, Nick Smith. Um, great to see you both. 
Maddie, first of all, were you up into the small hours watching the Belmont Stakes? Uh, sad to say not, but I really enjoyed catching up on it this morning before I got, got in the cab here. Great story. Can't wait to, to tuck into that. Um, and a historic one too. And we're going to do that a little bit later. Nick, good to see you as well. We're just, what, 10 days out from, from Royal Ascot 2023. How is the whole team feeling about the week? We're feeling very good about the week. Uh, it's shaping up really well. The fields are looking great. Um, just been speaking to Brian outside. The St James's Palace uh, Stakes is looking fantastic. Obviously going to have the two Guineas winners there, Chaldean and, um, and Paddington. Uh, couldn't ask for more than the one-two in the Guineas, reopposing vintage Prince of Wales' stakes um, on the horizon at the moment, plus a, 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 including a, a speculative American runner, which no doubt we'll, we'll touch on. Um, yeah, no, we're, we're very happy. I mean, a bit of rain would be nice before the week, but uh, we're, we're in good shape. I mean, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Yes, you, you want the rain on, on one hand just to stop it getting too firm, but I guess if you've got a consistent forecast, at least Chris Stickles knows what to do. Absolutely. We're watering every other day at the moment. You know, you'll aim to start the, the, the meeting on uh, sort of good to firm, good in places, that type of ground, good good to firm in places in an ideal world, around about that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, level. That would, be, that would be the ideal. But we saw at Epsom, didn't we, last weekend, Andrew Cooper was quite anxious about how quick the ground might get there. But there was barely a complaint well, uh, over, over, the, over the two days. And it was good, fast, flat racing ground. I mean, to what extent, to ask it, do you think, well, we got a nice dry spell. We go with it. This is this is what horses are meant to run on. Well, absolutely right. And I was with Mark Johnson very recently, and he was saying exactly the same thing. He's saying, you know, he's absolutely right. Flat racing in the summer is about fast ground, safe, fast ground. You know, nobody wants to race on firm ground, obviously, but there's nothing wrong with a with a with a good, uh, solid racing surface for top class uh, flat thoroughbreds. Uh, Joe, is that something that, that you would agree with? Yeah, definitely. You know, you've got to be safe, but. Different horses, you know, want different grounds and some want that faster ground and you can't cater for everyone being, you know, on the good ground. You need you need the quicker surfaces for the good horses. And I suppose more than anything, consistency is what you want. Consistency across the track and consistency around the track. Yeah, definitely. When you're riding, it is consistency and safe. We saw again, didn't we, Maddie, yesterday at Haydock. It did seem that the, the bias had been chased from one side of the track to, to the other. <laughs> yeah, and very quick ground, obviously. Uh, regional broke that track record, didn't he, in the Achilles stakes. He looks very fast, so excited to see how he can progress uh, through the ranks. But yeah, Haydock does seem one of those tracks, doesn't it? I mean, Joe will know more about how the bias seems to change. It was so pronounced, wasn't it, for the Temple stakes mm. and that meeting, um, but slightly different uh, yesterday. And we've seen that at Ascot, haven't we, Nick? It's very hard. You've got that great width of track to make sure that it is fair for, for everybody. How much work has gone into that over the years since, since you know, the, re the redevelopment? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I, I remember our first meeting after the redevelopment, the May meeting, our sort of trial meeting before, before our big so opening this is Royal back Ascot. back in 2006. Was, you know, 2006. And, I, and the headlines were, there'll never be a winner on the straight course at Ascot drawn any higher than 12. You know, because there appeared to be so. You were already being nailed oh, for it. Yeah, then. I mean, day, I mean, we had an entire database of one day to go <laughs> to go on, um, but nevertheless, that that was obviously one of the one of the sort of talking points. But it, it, it balanced itself out, and of course now it's 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 fairly consistent. I mean, you're always going to get a certain degree of bias, and you're always going to get um, favoured rails. I mean, rails favour horses. I mean, that that is generally speaking, in my view, w w where a draw bias comes is where the pace is. Um, and whether you can get up on up on the rails. I mean, you saw in, in the Haydock previous meeting, 
uh, the Little Big Bear race, the um, Sandy Lane. You know, the, it's it's all about getting a rail in those mm. kind of races. Uh, now, people who did manage to get a rail at Ascot a couple of years ago were some protesters who... who, <laughs> who, who what a segue. Who, I mean, you know, we don't just throw it together. Uh, three of them, I think, was it, chained themselves to a, to a rail? Well, they weren't called Animal Rising then, but whichever group it was, the extremist group, um, chained themselves to a rail. I've never seen people moved as quickly as they were moved that day until, until Epsom when that protester was, was taken off the track the other day. Um, what are you expecting at Royal Ascot? Um, expecting is a difficult word. I think it's more a question of what we're being prepared for, uh, being aware of the, all the threats that could come in any direction, whether it's a animal uh, rights group or, or the uh, Just Stop Oil group or, or, any, or any other factor, quite frankly. And, you know, Royal Ascot's always been a high-profile event. Mm -hmm. It's always been in the public eye. It always has significant royal presence. So it, it is already an event that is heavily protected in terms of security. Clearly what we're doing this year is upping that security, more more um, personnel around the track, uh, more CCTV cameras. Um, and, you know, you rely hugely, as Epsom did, uh, on, on police intelligence and what comes to light um, in the run-up to these events. So, you know, we're, we're preparing for scenarios um, and we will do our very best to minimise disruption in the event of any kind of intrusion. Epsom talked quite a bit after the race, spoke to Nevin Truesdell on the show last week, about the relationship they had with Surrey Police and the intelligence-led operations that Surrey Police were, were undertaking. Now, clearly, ask it's different slightly because you've got a, a royal protection element to it as well, which I guess you kind of leave to, to royal protection, but you have a relationship with Thames Valley Police that is the same as the one that, say, a jockey club would have with, with Surrey and that they'd be liaising with you in the same way? Oh, absolutely right. Thames Valley Police have been fantastic for partners for many years. They're very experienced in dealing with all sorts of potential threats. Um, and, of course, Thames Valley Police have done a lot of work with Surrey Police. Uh, we've all worked very hard with the, with the jockey club. Nevin and his team have been incredibly helpful uh, in giving us their um, advice about what they saw in the run-up to the derby, uh, and indeed on, the, on derby day. Um, and, you know, we're all sharing our own intelligence and we're all working very hard to make, to make sure that, um, you know, these huge sporting events are as untroubled as possible. Uh, I note this week that you have not decided to take a, an injunction out. So the Jockey Club took an injunction before, uh, before the derby to specifically render the act of trespass, um, you know, a prosecutable, if you like. Um, uh, what, what prompted you not to, to follow, follow suit? Well, I mean, I think uh, in both cases, the, 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 p the powers the police now have uh, enable them to make arrests and to act on these uh, track intrusions, which may not have been the actual case uh, to quite such a degree pre-coronation, but the new rules that are in place enable that to happen. The injunction itself, you know, we considered that, but we were, we were advised by the police that it probably wasn't a layer that we, we required. Uh, we certainly wouldn't have been certain to get it. Um, and, and we are assured by the police uh, and trusting the police to have the resources in place to deal with any, any track intrusions and make those arrests. A question that's been asked um, so many times in the, last, in the last few years has been, what will Ascot be like um, beyond the late Queen? The uh, Queen died last year and uh, we're expecting the, the new King to be at Ascot this year? We are certainly expecting significant royal attendance. You can read into that as you wish. Um, it's always been a very popular event for the whole royal family. You've got to remember that last year, very sadly, when the Queen was unable to attend and she was watching from home at Windsor Castle, 
um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was quite an important moment for us because on every day of the royal meeting there was a royal procession, um, and every day of the royal meeting the royal procession was led by a senior royal. Um, in in the case of Tuesday, I believe Wednesday too, uh, by the Prince of Wales, um, now the King, um, and uh, the Cambridge is now the Wales is attended. So um, it's it's very much a royal meeting. We're expecting the royal meeting to be to have all the things that have always made it very special. Uh, and at 2 p.m. on Tuesday, sorry, 12 p.m. on Tuesday, Tuesday week, uh, the first Royal Procession list will be unveiled and it'll be an exciting new era f- for everybody. And do you see, from, from your perspective, evidence that the whole royal family wants Queen Elizabeth's legacy to continue and are, are aware and conscious of that legacy to, to horse racing and to Ascot. Well, I think that's been seen, hasn't it, with the King and the Queen making these uh, trips to Newmarket. Uh, they're heavily engaged with John Warren on the racing side. They're heavily engaged with Sir Francis Brooke, our, uh, the King's representative at Ascot, in terms of um, plans, arrangements, horses, and what have you. Um, and, yeah, I mean, uh, the family, the royal family, obviously, the King gave his, his uh, blessing to renaming the Platinum Jubilee Stakes, mm-hmm. the Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee Stakes, uh, to mark, um, you know, a period which will never be the same. And this, mean, this, this is going to be the race title in perpetuity now, I'd imagine. <laughs> this isn't going to change. Yeah, this must be the world's most changed race, mustn't it? But it, ha- it had some kind of logic, didn't it? Golden, mm. diamond, platinum, jubilee. And now, now, um, to, uh, of course, it was, a, uh, it was a race for which the, queen, the late Queen presented the trophy. So it seemed pretty logical to make that one her, her legacy race. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, she has a legacy race in, in, um, on, you know, in September, then, in October on, on, on Champions Day with the QE2 itself. Um, but we really, really wanted to mark the Queen's uh, unique association with Ascot, the late Queen's association with a permanent race title. And this, this seemed the one to, 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 to go with. So we're expecting a, a big royal presence. We are also expecting a big international presence this year. You've got American runners, you've got Australian runners, you've got a runner from Hong Kong. What has, what has pleased you most? When you look down that list of, of likely international runners at Royal Ascot, which one or ones make you think, yeah, we're getting something right here? Uh, well, I think, I think one of the, really one of the, the, the most positive things is the resurgence of the Australian participation. Because after Black Caviar, I think it was assumed, oh, they'll just continue winning every year and up to Black Caviar we've we probably had a winner at Royal Ascot every other year since, mm-hmm. since she was here p- possibly more um, and then with a few developments in the Australian uh, calendar things like the Everest um, you know coming to the fore and what have you uh, it just became uh, slightly less on the agenda of Australian trainers so Nature Strip was quite a sort of seminal moment really um, e- everyone wanted to, wanted to make this trip from the Nature Strip team Chris Waller had um, unfinished business after Brazen Bow was was beaten by undrafted in the in the goodness knows what jubilee it was then diamond I think <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and um, um, and uh, Craig Williams was slightly criticised for the ride that day probably unfairly uh, and he's always wanted to come back and do it and this was a, a very significant box he wanted to tick and we came very very close to Winks coming over I mean much closer than people think um, it really was you know mildly odds on at one point um, but. It wasn't to be, and I think that probably focused him more than anything else on okay, let's let's make this happen. Uh, and he obviously had the had the Coolmore cult as well, Home Affairs, uh, come on the trip. And on the back of Nature Strip, we've now got obviously four horses now here uh, for for the Royal Meeting from Australia, um, and included within those, of course, are you know Cannonball, who 
Uh, sorry, not Cannibal, but Cannibal is coming, but the mm. one I'm in, it's Kool and Gatta who won the Lightning Stakes. And she's at Charlie Hills is now, isn't she? She, she is, where Nature Strip was. Yeah. Um, and uh, and her form, she's got the CV. You know, she, she won the Lightning Stakes. That that is that is the one. Uh, six horses, I think, have won the Lightning Stakes and gone on to win the the the, the King Stand. Never only Black Caviar's actually done the um the the the, the Jubilee leg. Um, no, so Shazir did that as well. Actually, yeah. so two of them have done the, two of, two of them have done the the, um, the six furlong leg. So, but she she's she's the star. Um, I think Artorius is very much a star. Uh, <coughs> something about Artorius, nobody, he's probably not quite got the credit he's he's deserved either at home or here. But he's favourite now, um, yeah. and we all know that they're you know they're incredibly confident with him. I mean, they think he's better, and he gets. Jay's McDonald, and he gets J Mac, which is, of course is a is a huge asset. That's no disrespect, obviously, to Jamie. I think he rode it last year, but you know J Mac would know the horse, and, and he's done the. I think he rode it in the. Um, I'm not sure he rode it in the track trial the other day, but he, he'll certainly be riding in the track work this week. I I've got a feeling we might have Artorius's co-trainer not too far away. Um, I think he might be on the line. Sam Friedman uh, can can talk to us now. Uh, he's in Deauville, uh, lucky man. Sam Freeman, good morning. Hey guys, how are you going? Not too bad. Are you, you've based yourself in, in one of the, the better locations, Sam. What, what's taking you to Deauville this weekend? Uh, I just had a very, very close friend's wedding um, yesterday, which um, the timing was, was pretty spot on with, um, with obviously, you know, Artorias landing in Newmarket a couple of days ago. So heading to Newmarket today, but it's been a, a really nice couple of days. Yeah, perfect way of uh, easing yourself into the, into the European summer. How's Artorias travelled over? Very well, yeah, no, no, very happy with him. Um, David Crofts, who, you know, he's travelled him throughout his career and, um, look, he's obviously a well-travelled horse. He's, he's very professional and, look, he only lost four kilos on the flight. He lost nine kilos last year, so um, I couldn't be happier with him. We got a little bit of footage of him, I think, yesterday. What do you, what do, you do with him in terms of, in terms of in- intensity of training between the time he lands and the time he actually races? How do you play it? Well, I think we're guided by how he, you know, how he travels, and, and the first few days after he lands are, are pretty pivotal in deciding what work we were going to do with him. Um, he's done very, very well since he's arrived. He's, um, you know, he's put all the weight on that he lost, and and a little bit extra. So um, he's going to have an improving gallop on on Tuesday and again on Friday. And um, you know, he's an older horse now. He, he handles his work very well. He's got a good constitution. So. This week will be a you know a busy week for him in terms of his workload because he's done so well off the flight, and um, you know and then we'll probably taper his work leading into the race. I've spoken to you about him recently. I've spoken to James McDonald about him. I've spoken to many correspondents in the media in Australia about him, and everybody seems united in one view that he he looks a rather different beast to the one he looked like twelve months ago. To what extent would you attribute that to to the experience he had in Europe last year? Yeah, massively so. You know, he, um, you know, we carted him around Europe, and and he and he handled it all well. He came back to Australia, and just didn't come up in the spring. Um, so we didn't run him. We we backed off him and and got him right for the autumn. And he was very good first up, winning the Canterbury Stakes. Um, you know, which is a, a six and a half furlong Group One in Australia, and um, you know, he settled a bit closer. Zach Purton rode him on that occasion, and and settled closer to the speed, which, as I'm sure you're all aware, has been our probably our you know, our biggest issue with him that he's, you know, given himself way too much work to do, which is what happened last year in the Platinum Jubilee. And, um, you know, you just can't win from those spots, you know, in big fields against the class of horse that you're going up against. So we made a really conscious decision 
um, before his last preparation to to really have him out of the gates and, and as close as we could. Um, and, you know, we've sort of worked out that, that behind the gates, he, you know, you keep him really active, keep him moving and alert. And, you know, he's been beginning very well out of the stalls, um, you know, even in his trial the other day. Not flattering to look at, you know, in the trial with Cool and Gatter down the straight, but, um, you know, everything suggests that, that he's, yeah, he, he's definitely going better. And, um, you know, he's better weighted this year. Last year he was a three-year-old getting weighted as an older horse, um, which is you know, never easy. And, and this year, you know, he'll carry the same weight and you know, I think he's going to touch better. So this this whole plan has been in, in the pot, really, since since the minute he, he landed back in Oz last year. Yeah, it has. It's, um, you know, Henry Field and the whole team at Newgate, you know, they've been brilliant to um, to really leave it to us as to you know, plotting a path for him. Um, you know, his autumn campaign was centred around making sure that he'd come back in, in good shape. And, you know, he went beaten far by Animo in his, in his last start and arguably a touch unlucky there. Um, so his form's certainly gone up a notch from uh, how he was going before he arrived here last year, which, um, you know, is certainly encouraging. And, yeah, as I said, I mean, having Henry and, and the whole team at Newgate and all his, all his owners on board for the trip again, I think there's a few more coming over this year than last year. So there'll be a big contingency there at the races. And Sam, we often, uh, and in, including on this show, talk about you know Australian racing as the as the ideal model. We look on enviously at, at the prize money, at the fact that there's a million dollar race every other week, and um, the fact that you're bringing these horses here is is obviously something that we absolutely love. But can you give can you give us a flavour of why it's such a big deal for you guys? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's probably a I mean, it's a childhood dream for me to, to try and travel a horse to Royal Ascot and, and win a race. But more importantly, you know, for a horse like Artorias, who's, you know, multiple group one winner in, in Australia now and, and, you know, trying to assert himself on a world stage for, for Newgate is a, you know, hugely important factor for why he's travelling. Um, you know, and I think, you know, for the other horses coming, it's um, more than anything, I think that it's a testament to the to the whole carnival at Royal Ascot that, um, you know, everyone wants to have a runner and, and have a chance. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll keep trying to bring horses back and, until we can win one. On the American front, Nick, um, what are we looking at this year? There is one Wesley Ward two-year-old American rascal. American rascal, yeah. By curling out of Lady Aurelia, the dual Royal Ascot winner herself who looked ridiculous at Keeneland on on debut. Are we are we buying American Rascal in the Norfolk against elite status? Well, it'll be a fascinating matchup, that's for sure. I mean, it's completely impossible to uh, <laughs> to assess their form relative to each other. I mean, one's uh, one's on the straight at Sandown and the mm. other one's um the other one is uh, on the dirt around Bend in um in in Keeneland. So, uh, they both look phenomenally uh, exciting and it will be one of the matchups. I think what's really exciting is, is how many of these two-year-old races are getting are getting conversations so early. We normally sort of pick those up slightly later, but that, this will be one of the matchups of the whole week. I, I think Maddie Punter's kind of it's a bit of an accordion deal with Wesley Ward. You know, he'll have a winner or two, and then they all get overbet. Mm. Has a year where the two-year-olds disappoint, and then they all start to be bigger than some of them ought to be. I thought American Theorem was quite a big price potentially, given how freakish. 
that horse looked yeah, on I debut. Think with the connections, the pedigree, um, often it's sort of done on hype, isn't it? It's traded in hype, what prices these horses go off. Um, I know Nick likes another horse that's set to come over who won one of the trials at Gulfstream. Um, the name just escapes Crimson me. Crimson Advocate. Crimson Advocate, yeah. Um, she looked really, really yeah. quick. George and Weaver. We mm. could see that those two races now. There's a Phillies and a Colts race. Uh, they're winning you're in for for any of the juvenile races at Royal Ascot. I'm really excited to see how that sort of avenue plays out for producing horses for this meeting. And we were hoping, weren't we, to have a couple of slightly longer distance American runners, but this yesterday and Friday's meeting at Belmont has hoovered them away from you. Yeah, that's the one or two. I mean, Spenderella would have would have been nice to have back. She was a fantastic second in the coronation. I think she would have year. gone really, really I do close. As well, she would. She would. I'm going to have to have words with Graham well. Motion. He, he ran her into the, <laughs> into the back of an Italian in New York. She'd have she'd have had a better chance in the Duke of Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Duke of Cambridge. Duke, Duke yeah. Cambridge. Yeah, I wouldn't mind an Italian either. Quite frankly, I mean, that would go very well in the Queen Anne. Mm. Super horse. Um, yeah, one of those things. Uh, we're still hoping that Big Invasion, who was second in the Jaipur last night, might still come over. The plan, as of last night, was to have a look at the horse in the morning and, and see, see how they go. I mean, those, are, those American sprinters are pretty good. You know, everyone talks about the Hong Kong and the um, Australian sprinters, but they've got a pretty good bunch out there at the moment. And the big miss was Caravel, but Caravel did win the Jaipur for, for Qatar Racing and Brad Cox last night in Belmont Park. And that's where we're headed now. Thanks to our friends at Fox Sports, we can bring you coverage of the Belmont Stakes 2023 and a little piece of history. And they're off in the 155th Belmont Stakes. National Treasure is right out for the lead. Hit Show came away well on the outside and Forte is up close. Right alongside is Angel of Empire, who will be widest of all into the turn. Down at the rail is Tapachoos. So it is the Preakness winner, National Treasure, challenged here on the inside by Tapachoos, and they are right together. Then it's the trio of Archangelo, Forte, and Hitshow. On the outside is Angel of Empire. At the rail is Il Miracolo. Then comes Tapatrice, who has one horse beaten at this point, and that is Red Route 1, who trails the field. The opening quarter mile in 23 and 3 fifth seconds as the field moves for the backstretch. National Treasure leads here by three quarters of a length. Hit show on the outside. Tapachoos down at the rail. They're right together, second and third. Angel of Empire in the clear on the outside and fourth. Forte is fifth for just three lengths from the front. Archangelo is now moving up a spot. Then we come back to Tapatrice and Il Miracolo. Red Route 1 continues to trail in ninth. Opening half. 47 and three-fifth seconds. And they're midway up the Belmont backstretch with National Treasure still the leader here. National Treasure by a length. Tapachoos is down at the rail. Hit show is in third. Two and a half lengths from the lead. Archangelo now looking to split horses from fourth. Then comes Angel of Empire. And Tapatrice now makes a big move on the extreme outside. Tapatrice and Angel of Empire, they're moving as a team, going after the front runner, National Treasure. So it is National Treasure, but right behind. Tapatrice, Angel of Empire, hit show, and Archangelo down at the rail. It's another three lengths. Back to Forte. The mile went in one, 37 and two. National Treasure challenged here on the inside by Archangelo, and the two of them are heads apart. Tapatrice on the outside in third. Angel of Empire being asked for more. Then comes Hitcho and Forte with Il Miracolo. The field is in the stretch in the Belmont Stakes, and Archangelo has now taken over. Archangelo is in front. 
National Treasure, back running in second. Then Hitcho, Tampa Trice, Forte, and Angel of Empire. It is Archangelo with the lead. Archangelo in front, trying to hold on for the final 50 yards. And it's Archangelo to win the test of the champion. It is Archangelo, and it is a monumental victory for trainer Jenna Antonucci. And what a month for jockey Javier Castellano. He won his first derby with Mage. He wins his first Belmont Stakes with Archangelo. First of all, I always say thank Lord Jesus Christ for giving me the opportunity to win another second triple crown. The third triple crown this year, second triple crown for myself. I give you all the credit to the horse. He's a wonderful horse the way he did it today. I don't think it is the distance to the limit. The way he galloping out, the way he did in the race, he pulled every single step away. Have a beautiful trip inside in the reel. Let him develop the horse. I really like the way he did it. All the credit to Gene and Tinush, all the team, the connection, they did it, make it happen for this. Javi, this is your first triple crown, or Belmont Stakes, but it's also Jenna Antonucci teaming up with her. She's a small stable. What does it mean to the whole team? I'm really happy for her, you know, she's a really good woman, she's a good horseman, and she did a lot of for this game, put a lot of into effort and money time to develop the horse like the way he did on Car Arcangelo. I'm happy for her for the first triple count and triple count myself as well. Uh, we just believe in the horse, the horse gives us the confidence. And, 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 and your team. Um, and, what do you and the team is great, um, it's, it's a dream team, we're just the best together. Uh, you, an emotional moment for you when, when Tom mentioned you made history. Have you had a chance to catch your breath and put this all in perspective? We're working on it. <laughs> We're working on it. You know, there's so much going on in my head right now. And just thank you to John and the, just an immense gratitude to this horse um, just for just laying it on the line for us and just growing and doing it. But I'm honored. Your reaction was incredible when you sat down with Maggie in the interview this week. She had said, you know, the relationship, of course, that you have with your horse, and if he could say something to you, what would he say? You said, get out of the way. Did you like how it turned out? He, uh, he got out of the way. He needed some horses to get out of his way, and Javier made that happen today perfectly, obviously, and, and he's here. And Javier, I know that your kids are going to be excited to go to school. They got bragging rights in town now. Truly happy. Thank you, guys, for the opportunity of all the connection. Drink and through my first Belmont State win the two. I'm so happy. Thank you, guys. Thank you, all the fans in New York. Um, one Australian horse who will definitely be at Ascot and limbered up for Ascot yesterday was the astrologist trained by the Corstens duo, Troy Corstens. An amazing story. He had a, a very near fatal car accident last year from which he has uh, continues to recover. And uh, he'll, be, he'll be over in, in Ascot next week. The astrologist written by Ryan Moore yesterday in Haydock's John Agaunt. Uh, Joe, a race ultimately won by, by Jumby, second from the left last weekend's guest, Eve Johnson-Horton. And dear old Jumby, he's, he's quite a useful tool in this grade, isn't he? Yeah, um, yeah, he is. I was watching back, I think, the Carl Burkhorst. I was a little bit unlucky not to probably get out and, and get Mo to him. But El Caballo. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, he's obviously um, won that nicely there and I think obviously has to ask Carl. Um, in unusual prep going seven at, at, at um, Haydock and then dropping to six, but it, it could be inspired, Maddie. 
Uh, could be. He's just a lovely big horse, isn't he? Genuine as well. I thought he was given a really well-timed ride by Ryan Moore from the front. I thought that's about as good as he could have run, to be honest. I was one of his supporters. He had proven seven furlong form, but of course he's gone close to winning a couple of Group 1s as well, so he's got the class. Um, and Jumby, the winner, could go to the Wokingham next. Before yesterday, he was rated 109. That's the same mark that Rohan won the race off last Interesting. year. Interesting. So, um, He's not without a chance. He'd carry was, a lot of weight. I but. think I was given the winner of the Wokingham earlier this week on my podcast. Go on. By Judy Camacho, who also had a winner yesterday. Because um, Ratia might run in the Wokingham, but she was yeah. being very lukewarm on that. Earlier in the week, I, t I talked to her. She's got Tactical, who was owned by the Queen, of course, and they picked up for a bit of money at the, at the sales, and she was really... I thought quite excited about tactical. Previous winner yeah. at the meeting as well, wasn't yeah. he? Tactical. Well, uh, did he win as a yeah, well, two-year-old? Yeah. 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 Um, obviously, that would be uh, an interesting result. Uh, it'd be a very interesting, if a, a very if interesting if an ex-royal runner was a <laughs> was a winner at the Royal Mission, but she did seem they've got some good horses this year, haven't they? They have, and, and you know they're doing they're doing really well with them. It was obviously nice to see you know the horse win yesterday, and whether that again, like you say, she's been a bit sketchy on that, whether you know that ends up going to Ascot as well. But like James Doyle said, he you know he'd have liked to have produced it a bit later. I think was only just doing enough in front, and he's quick. And Shaquille looks a, a proper horse for them in the in the Commonwealth Cup as well. Yeah, they've got a good team to go at for Ascot and you know God hope that they you know they have a good the good run. They deserve it. You know, they they put a lot of hard work the team. Um, Julie Camacho looking for her first winner at Royal Ascot and looks to have a few good chances. William Haggis of course will be loaded during the course of Royal Ascot. Perhaps my Prospero will be his team leader in what looks a very very deep Prince of Wales stakes, but in those colours winner yesterday uh, at Haydock Park with Sea Silk Road. The significance here? Well, this was the Leicester Piggott stakes. And uh, Leicester, the late Leicester, gone now just about a year, the, the father-in-law of the winning trainer. So you felt, as Maureen Haggis said yesterday, this was rather written in the stars. And this looks quite a, quite a nice prospect still. Uh, Maddie, Cecil Road. Yeah, she's been operating at a decent level and these connections have presumably targeted this race from a long way out because they won the race last year. Um, she seems to be very proficient at this level um, and I think it's just a really touching win for, for their team yesterday and a really nice story to tell on a, on a big Saturday and um, yeah, well done to all involved there. And this is Maureen Haggis speaking after the race to Niall Hannessy. What a result. Uh, Maureen Haggis joins us now. That was just fantastic, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was great. It was, it was you know, wonderful for, for me, obviously. Um, <clears throat> winning my father's race with one of William's horses. And also, she was bought um, as a yearling by John Clark, who sadly died two weeks ago. So, yeah, it's sort of, it was just a really nice result from lots of points of view. Being here at Haydock, obviously, the, the history with your dad um, and he would have been proud the way Tom Ruder smuggling her in the wrist yeah Tom gave her a beautiful ride you know she was too keen at York they went no pace at York it was a shorter trip and they you know I think everything she likes the fast ground she seems to stay the trip well and he gave her a lovely ride and you know she probably doesn't do a lot when she hits the front but uh, yeah he gave her a, a really good ride today she looked more more settled beforehand a few yeah. times I've seen her she's been edgy she can't, yeah. I mean, look, it's a great place, yeah. you know, it, for that because you sa everything, yeah, saddle them in the stables, it's lovely. And, um, but I think she was a bit fresh last time, but she, she's had the odd day when she's been like that. But actually, generally, that's not her nature. She is quite a, a laid back filly, but she is by Sea the Stars, and they, you know, they can have their quirks. Talented quirks. 
talented quirks. If they've got talent, yeah. you'll put up with anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and tell us about it. It's great to see Tracy here, son Sam here today, yeah. about the sponsorship of the race. Well, we wanted to have a, a race at Haydock and we wanted to have something that would be here forever, like the Gordon Richards Stakes, you know, that becomes a well-known part of the programme and will always be the Leicester Piggott Stakes. So uh, Kirkland and I have been talking for a while and, and he gave, gave us a few options and, and this is the one we selected. It's a nice, you know, nice race and a nice stepping stone onto other things. And um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it's very good of the Jockey Club and Haydock to do it. And um, it's got to be uh, rubber stamped by the patent committee. But as William's on the patent committee, if it isn't rubber stamped, his life could be quite, become quite unpleasant. <laughs> He's at home planning what's going to win it next year. Uh, I'm sure all racing fans watching will be absolutely delighted. Very well done. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Magical Romance and Sue is damsel on the outside of this. This is going to be a very close call. A turn up. Magical Romance got there. David Junior chased by the French Bear Pride in second place. And David Junior lifts the champion. saw a brace of Cheveley Parks, a champion stakes, an eclipse. He's also won a brace of Breeders' Cup races, and now he's back in the big time, courtesy of Isaac Shelby, who was so narrowly denied in the Pool d'Essay de Poulain the other day. He is, of course, I'm not allowed to call him the master of Manson, one of the masters of Manson now, <laughs> Brian Meehan. Good to see you. You too, Nick. Thank you. Uh, it's been, a, it's been a, a wonderful career punctuated by some great highs. How good does it feel to have a, a group one horse to go to war with this season in Isaac Shelby? Yeah, it's everything really. It's it's you know it's what we all strive for is the are the top horses, top class horses. He looks like he's got a huge future ahead of him. Um, so really exciting individual. And for you personally as well to be dining at that top table after a few years where you haven't been, what does that mean? Well, like I say, it me it means everything. I mean, you know, it's what we strive for. Me especially. I mean, I think it's you know trying to search out those good horses. Um, to to run in the in the good races, improve things. You know that's that's what gives me a buzz. Okay, just looking back on some of those memories that we were showing there, which one pulls at your heartstrings most keenly? Um, of the horses we looked at, looked back at there, I suppose um, I don't know really. I mean, there are there there, there are many. Uh, luckily, um, I guess David Junior. You know, he was so exuberant. He was, Huge personality, um, full of energy, you know, loved the challenge, you know, travelled a lot. We took him to the Breeders' Cup, Dubai, uh, to win two group ones in, in, in England for me was tremendous. Uh, but it, his whole personality, I mean, he, he really was, uh, he was um, you know, full of confidence. We just were watching the footage of the Eclipse, written by Jamie Spencer. Yeah. 
uh, that day, and this is this is lovely to watch because he he showed such a wonderful turn of foot. Yeah, you know, Jamie really got him. Uh, you know, really understood the horse, and obviously won the three Group Ones on him. Um, but the, you know, the two of them really went well together. Jamie always knew what he was going to do each time he went out to ride him. Uh, it was wonderful to have him on the horse consistently. It made such a difference. But he was really impressive here today, uh, on this day. Um, having been slightly disappointing in the Prince of Wales, to bounce back in the Eclipse was uh, gave me a lot of pleasure. Very special day with David Junior. As you say, there've been there've been many of them. Where did it where did it all begin for for Brian Meehan? Where did the where did the story of of Brian Meehan, the trainer, start? Um, I suppose it, we were kind of always surrounded by it at home. Um, home was where exactly? Uh, County Limerick in County, Ireland. Yeah. Um, it was you know the population of Ireland at the time was two and a half million, so everybody knew everybody. It was a kind of uh, the way we were brought up, um, a lot of hunting, summer jobs, riding out. Um, it was a kind of a natural thing that I always wanted to do. Who were you riding out for in, when you were um, a kid? Ma- mainly Andrew McNamara, who's, who we lost a couple of years ago, but he, he was... Uh, so Andrew McNamara, senior. Senior, yeah. Many will know his love. He was a bit of a legend in Limerick, wasn't he? Andy yes, Maxini. yeah. Trained some lovely horses over the years, Cheltenham winners, etc., uh, he was a great man, really. But I used to cycle over and go and ride out, and I think it was 14 or something, and occasionally get paid. But I loved it. You know, it was a wonderful time. They were very good to me. Uh, they were, na- you know, not far away, so I could cycle. Uh, it was great fun, you know. You were with all the, the old characters, and, you know, you, you, you saw so much, and it was just kind of natural, really, at the time. And, and that sort of gives the impression of quite a, quite a carefree upbringing quite a, a, yeah. a, lovely, a lovely childhood you're painting yeah well it was a little while ago now um so yeah things were you know we were kind of i wouldn't say feral but we were able to do whatever you know as long as we turned up at school everything was fine feral can be good can't it <laughs> yeah it was good fun yeah and and so then in school itself were you were you applied were you excelling were you how were you doing uh well i suppose parts of it interested me but um not hugely which, um, which bits uh, the rugby, probably, um, and uh, had some good friends at school, so we uh, we always had a lot of fun. Yeah, no, school was something that had to be had to be done, had to be done, and had to be got through. And then, and then I moved straight on to it. So when did when did things start getting serious? Um, I suppose I did. I went to the Irish National Stud for a couple of years, got a lot of experience there and confidence. Uh, and then I went to work for Richard Hannan for six months um, at the time. And uh, he. So you're how old at this point? I guess maybe 19, uh-huh. something like that. Um, and then went back, came home for Christmas and went back and stayed for another five years. Great times. Great what, times. What, what was it specifically that drew you back to Richard Hanna? Um, I said the, the fact that he was willing to give me a chance, you know. That I guess maybe he hadn't had an assistant as such before and. Maybe the idea tickled him, you know, he's got a sense of humour like that. <laughs> um, but he gave me a chance and, and that made all the difference, you know. And which, was, which were the horses that were, were, were in, in lights when you were, when you were at Hannon? Well, he, he had Don't Forget Me that year, uh, the year so I 89, went. 89, yeah. 88, 89, something like, like that. 87, maybe. Even, yeah. um, Tyrrell came along shortly afterwards. But to, towards 
you know, towards the end of my time, there was some amazing horses. I mean, Mr. Brooks was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had we had some tremendous horses. Lyric Fantasy, was she, Lyric was she, Fantasy, yeah. yeah, yeah. Niche, some some lovely horses over the years. Was Richard somebody who would tell you things, or did you just learn by watching? Uh, yeah, you you know, you were in the routine. You could learn by watching, obviously, because there was a there was a good routine there, which always struck me as. Uh, and since then, as being important to the horses, uh, but yeah, you know, he would he would give information freely and loudly at times. <laughs> <laughs> so, what made what made him able to establish such a powerhouse for training establishment? You take a step back from it now and look upon yourself as a young man working for for Richard Hannan. What made him influential and successful? Uh, I mean, the work ethic was incredible. I mean, you know. Morning started early, uh, a lot of travelling, racing. He was always in the yard in the mornings and, you know, there was a lot of racing in the afternoon. Um, I, th- I think it was just kind of work ethic and, the, you know, desire to win and mm. make the thing work. It's an institution now. But could, you could see evidence of his, of his endeavour, basically. You could see how hard he was working and everybody else followed. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question. We, you know, we'd have work mornings on a Sunday morning. Um, you know, towards the end, I would work a six and a half day week. We'd have Sunday afternoon off, maybe. Um, but you loved it, you know, because there was so much going on all the time and lots of improvement and, you know, continued. You know, there was a there was a great flow of really good horses, uh, as as there still is now with with you know with with Richard. And it's, it's a, a sort of certain kind of relentless energy to that to that place. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's 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 what we all strive for: good horses and success. You know, it's all about winning. And you know when that's happening, you know you you know the whole thing will manifest itself into you know further success. That's the idea. And what about Hannan Senior as a manager of people? Obviously, you're there. You're his right hand man. Give me a flavour of that of your uh, relationship. Yeah, strong character. I mean, he was uh, you know we he's a man with a lot of charisma. Even you know if you as you work for him, you know he was always someone who was important to you um, and and to all the staff. We all enjoyed working for him. It was good. So to what extent during that period are you thinking, well, actually, this is great, and to what extent are you thinking, right, I need to be on a licence, I need to be doing this myself? Yeah, I guess the time sort of came. At one stage, I thought maybe I was ready, and I, I, don't know, I can't remember what it was, but something happened in the yard and I had to deal with, um, and I thought, no, no, I'm, I'm not ready quite yet. Um, and I guess the, then it, it, there was a sort of a, a natural progression to when I should start. I mean... He had, you know, there was Richard, who's training now, and, and Fanny, his sister, they were coming back to the yard, and it was probably time for me to move out. Okay. So but I was keen, you know, and I was ready. And, and Richard and, and Joe, his wife, Joanne, and they supported me so much when I started. So what, was the, what, what enabled you to break out on your own? What were the, what were the circumstances that, that led to you taking that first step? Uh, well, you know, it was something that I was, you know, I didn't... I always wanted to train, mm-hmm. you know, that was the priority. I enjoyed where I was, I loved what I was doing, um, I loved the job. Um, but it was time, you know, you, you, you know if, you, if you're... I remember the boss said to me one day, if you, you know, if you, you've got to go and do it. If you don't get on and do it, you might never do it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, let's go. So how did you do it? Uh, rented a yard in Lambourne, um, gathered up a few horses, I think... I had five, maybe six, four two-year-olds and two older horses. Um, 
a few people supported me. They said Joe, Joe Hannon and a friend of hers had a, they, they actually owned my first winner, a horse called Connect at Brighton. That's when you know that your old boss wants you to do well. Yeah, or get rid of you. Or get rid of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, that, that was tremendous. I mean, I'd, I'd, after a couple of months, I remember running out of money um, and my holiday and pool money turned up from, you know, the previous quarter I'd been at Hannon. So, I mean, that was, you know, that, was, that support was tremendous, you know. Do you think if it had been now, you'd have been able to do the same thing? Um, it's different now. I think that, um, you know, you, you, there are a lot of young people, men and women, starting each year. Um, it's it's different. I mean, it's 30 years since I started. Um, Is it really? Yeah. And I think I was only the second trainer in two years to start. Sorry, only the first. Willie Muir had started a year before. So it was about a year, two years, and it was only he and I had started. So I don't know how it's different now. I mean, it's... it's um, you know, there's a lot of energy required. It's uh, it's uh, social media, I suppose, uh, instant communication. I mean, when I first started, you know, maybe Richard would call the owners the next morning uh, and then there was a car phone, so they'd get a, a phone call on the way home. Um, but it's instant now. I mean, it's pictures in the paddock, recording the jockey after the race, sending it immediately, owners ringing you as soon as the horse is over the line. Um, before you've even had a chance to think, well, that wasn't so bad, you know, we can work on that, uh, even though it maybe, looked it maybe looks disappointing initially. Um, so I guess that, that makes it a little more difficult, but you're conditioned to that, and, you know, young people starting out are conditioned to it, much mm -hmm. more so than, than I would be if I was starting now at the age of 55, but, you know, we're good, we have systems, and it's good, and I think most... Uh, all my owners are happy with communication, should be. I, I, suppose, I suppose one thing I was, I was trying to get at was um, if, you, if you just wanted to start off in the same way now, rent a yard, half a dozen horses, a little bit, not, not carefree, but, you know, on the fly a little bit, yeah. would, you be, would you be able to do that? Or are the economic pressures and staff pressures such that it would almost make it unviable? Well, I think, yeah, no, I, I think it would be... As easy, maybe a little easier, probably. Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of support, say, in Lambourne with the, you know, since the Jockey Club bought the Gallops. That's good. You know, I believe they have yards, starter yards, certainly in Newmarket, I think. Mm -hmm. So that they, I think that generally there's good support if, if a young person wants to start uh, training, handful of horses, see how it goes. You can't really take that attitude. You have to take a handful of horses and hope you're going to grow. You know, you've got to be positive about it. Um, but I think, no, I think it's, it's uh, the evidence being that we're seeing a lot of young people starting each year.